Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Startup Sales. Uh, today we have Michael with us and really excited to have Michael. He is the startup liaison uh, of the Netherlands to San Francisco. So that means he's helping a lot of the, uh, the Dutch companies uh, come into the valley. And so he really has seen a lot of companies and, and worked with a lot of companies. So he's, he's seen his stuff and knows his stuff very well. And today we're going to be talking with him about sales productivity and planning. And what's the secret to success in sales? Uh, you know, how to transform your people uh, and, and also uh, the customer and what's their problem and doing the right things. So there's a lot that we're going to cover today. Michael is a has prepared a, a lot of information, so I hope you enjoy it. And before we get into the episode, could really use your help. If you could please like and comment or share and also uh, review this on iTunes, uh, really trying to get the word out there a lot. So everything that you could do could really help uh, spread the word of the podcast. So let's get to today's episode with Michael. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey, Michael, thanks for joining us. Hey, Adam. Yeah, many thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to finally be recording this with you. We've been speaking probably for a couple months now uh, about getting this done. So thanks. Yeah, thank you. Um, can you tell everybody that's listening a little bit about who you are and what your background is? Yeah, so my name is Michael Doris. Um I'm the startup uh, liaison in the United States for the Kingdom of the Netherlands. I'm based out of San Francisco, which is, of course, you know, the flagship hub for uh, innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, but I started my career very different. Um, started my career actually in banking. It's a long time ago. Used to work for um, a few large banks, uh, both in the Netherlands and uh, in a few countries. And around 10 years ago, I became head of ventures and innovation at Rabobank. And that's really how I got into this whole startup ecosystem. I started investing in startups. We started to build our own ventures, corporate ventures. Uh, and I ended up uh, becoming the CEO of a fintech scale-up, which I did for five years. So this whole story about digital transformation that lots of people talk about, I always say it starts with people. Uh, and actually, I, you know, this whole transformation, I lived that. Yeah, I went through that from being a corporate person to an entrepreneur. And then around four years ago, I joined Startup Bootcamp as a partner, and I founded the FinTech and, uh, the FinTech and Cybersecurity Acceleration Startup Program, and I ran that program as an MD, so worked with uh, many hundreds of startups, uh, scouted thousands of startups all over the world, and invested in many. And then last year, in August, I moved to San Francisco, basically on a mission to help the most promising Dutch startups and scale-ups uh, successfully launch their business in the U.S., and I um, you know, I've organized a few activities, set up a few programs to do that. And one of those oh, programs that's... is Holland in the Valley, but we will chat about it. <laughs> that's terrific. That's something that's so needed, uh, especially for European companies to get over into the U.S. Uh, it's a terrific spot to be. Yeah. I, and I, 
I really like what you said. Transformation starts with people. It's a that's really it. powerful phrase. That's it. <laughs> like, say, like, like, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's people's business. It's interaction. And, and the reason why the U.S. is so interesting is that take the Netherlands. You know, the, I think uh, in terms of availability of roughly a billion um, euros available in VC money for startups, roughly. So London, which is sort of the Valhalla in Europe, has 8 billion available for startups, VC money. And if you look at the US in venture capital, it's 130 billion, 130 billion, 60% of that in, in the Bay Area. So it's at a totally different scale. And I mean, you've, you're very familiar with Israeli startups and uh, a lot of Israeli entrepreneurs are so successful because they internationalize and the first jump they make is to the US. Yeah. Often happens. So we're trying to help very promising startups, sort of the uh, aspiring unicorns to make that move uh, seamless to the US. All right. And is this, is this, do you think, because uh, what you said is like Israel, Israel is so successful because they make that jump. Um, do you think that that's like the biggest key to success is, is starting off in America? Uh, well, at least, you know, look beyond the borders of your own market. I mean, the Netherlands is small. It's an interesting market because you can build traction there. You can prove product market fit. Then you got to move on. Uh, and then the U.S. obviously is one of those markets that are really interesting. Germany and Europe is, is interesting. UK is interesting. But in terms of the scale, um, you know, the U.S. is unprecedented, right? Yeah, definitely. All right. And since you've worked with so many companies and, and been part of this early stage, what would you say is the secret to success uh, in sales? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, well, allow me to, to walk you through a little bit of uh, uh, a story uh, in order to get there. And basically where I want to start off is if, if you look at the, the top 10 of uh, uh, startup mistakes. Uh, what do you think would be the number one? Number one mistakes that startup founders make. Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot there, but uh, I, <laughs> I think a lot there. <laughs> number one. I I always I I'm biased, but I think it's a fail, failure to sell or thinking that your product is so good that you mm. you uh, you think it's going to be easy to sell and you over overestimate the ability to sell. Yeah, you know, so so. Uh, I, you know, I would say it's building something that nobody wants, right? I mean, that, that, um, on average, 17% of product introductions are successful. So if you flip that, it means that 83% of product introductions are not successful. So not many companies advertise this, right? You won't read about these failures. Um, but that's crucial uh, uh, knowledge. And the reason why I'm saying is that because I've worked with so many tech founders and they're great and they have good products and they love their products and they should. Um, but I try to explain to them, you got to be in love with the customer instead of the product. So who's the customer? What's the problem? We all know this. Who's the customer? What's the problem? Uh, and that's one of the issues that a lot of these tech founders have to, to really and make that shift into being more customer-focused. Now, so much of what we do in our day-to-day -day in the startup world is about technology. 
We hear about AI, you know, lots of talk about blockchain, APIs, uh, IoT, etc., etc. Um, and then it makes you wonder, is it all about tech? And in my mind, it isn't. Now, I've sent you a video. We cannot play it here. It's, an, um, it's the Dear Sophie video for Google Chrome. It's an advertisement for Google Chrome. It's a very interesting video that I show to tech founders. And I let them see this video. And then I asked them after this video, I said, okay, so do you use Google Chrome? Yes. So what is Google Chrome? And they say, well, it's a browser. I said, well, wrong. It's not a browser. And if you look at that video, um, it builds stories. Uh, it has major impact on people's lives. And um, my point to these founders is you got to start talking about stories. Tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever um, if you get my point. So. Chris Skinner, which is a great fintech journalist, uh, um, said this really well. The future is about humanity, designing great and engaging human experiences, enabled by technology, but not focused on the technology. At the end of the day, it's about understanding changing behavior and appetites. Uh, there are no facts in the building, as Steve Blank says, so get the hell out and talk to customers. Now, this is sort of my entry. Uh, in, in answering your question on tell me about the uh, uh, the success of uh, of sales and you know there is a discrepancy uh, with sales figures that startup entrepreneurs come up with when they start to pitch to their investors or to uh, other audiences and the actuals they deliver right they're, often they're very bullish um, you know you have this notion about fake uh, fake fake it until you make it Etc. So a lot of founders tend to overpromise and underdeliver, but real traction, actual numbers are more important than ever. So investors really want you to show the money. So sell, sell, sell. Sales is really important, and this is why I've sent you this Muppet video about we want you to sell. It's a funny video uh, about selling. <laughs> I'll put the links in uh, for these two videos yeah, yeah, that yeah. you sent in the show notes. Yeah. So. But if you look at sales, uh, as a salesperson, you are required to uh, achieve a predetermined outcome, right? Uh, the target. Everybody talks about the sales target. And many people see, you know, sales as a sort of an unpredictable gut feel. It's kind of magic, right? You're, you must be born with this. What I'm saying, no, it's actually sales is, is, an, is an art and you can learn to do this. So what, what I would like to provide in, in, in this podcast is really a tool which makes those outcomes, targets, a lot more predictable uh, and, and to turn founders really in control. Because, you know, life is a chain of events with one experience leading to another. Um, so let's ask ourselves how we can cross this gap. How do you manage your activity in such a structured way that you build the traction you need to meet those targets, the projected budget? Now, the answer, and here we're getting into uh, a concept which is called sales productivity planning. Um, it's a very intelligent thing for founders to find people to help you. You can read a lot of books, it won't really help you. It's a very comfortable thing to do, but it's much better to find people to actually help you. So I strongly believe in mentoring, right? We will talk about that a little bit later because I've got a whole mentor community in Silicon Valley. Um, so. One of my great mentors was a guy called uh, Jaap, Jaap Ter Steeg from the Netherlands, very experienced uh, sales director, sales professional, I should call him, coach. 
And I attended one of his sales productivity planning training sessions, and I've used it ever since. So I want to share some of those learnings here um, uh, today, if you don't mind. Yeah, that's terrific. Yeah. Okay, so a, a phrase that you hear a lot in any any sales discussion is, if only I had more time. You know, I just didn't have enough time to to make the numbers. But time is a commodity, and it's used in different ways by different people, some more effectively than others, and it presents frustration, right? The, the funny thing is we all have the same amount of time to do what it is what we have to do, and some people are more successful using that same amount of time. And many salespeople tend to blame them fact outside of their control, uh, external factors, internal factors, you know, for the limited amount of time that they have. And, and those factors may include, you know, I've got too many meetings, the product sucks, it's too much paperwork, too much red tape. Um, if only I had more time. Well, if you talk about if only I had more time, it really starts with an understanding of the actual amount of time available and how uh, it is used. That is the beginning. That is critical. Time is of essence here. So um, I just made a very simple sheet for myself to calculate how much effective sales time is available. And every every founder should really do this. Every salesperson should do this. It starts here. 365 days in the year. Then you take out weekends, holidays, bank holidays, training, meetings, and all of that. And then you have hours available around two you will calculate it you will come around two thousand hours available in it but then that is not net available for sales because you have what we call time stealers so how much time do you spend on travel how much time do you spend on waiting how much time do you spend on admin you know writing those proposals on on your lunches uh, updating salesforce <laughs> it's terrible right i mean uh, uh, sales guys hate that what about private stuff? I mean, while you're going to a meeting, you know, you have sort of an hour left, you go to the barber. All these are, are time stealers. Um, but you have to calculate that. If you really want to be successful in sales, it starts there. Um, and if you know, if you are aware of the limited amount of time, and when you make this calculation, by the way, Adam, you will probably end up anywhere between 80 and 100 days in the year. So. From, ex from my experience. So 365 days in a year, you will end up net available to deal with customers, speak with your customers between 80 and 100 days in a year. It's not a lot, but four or five months in a year. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of waste, uh, waste out there. But once you do that, uh, it, it, it will trigger you to focus on high value activities. So it will reduce the amount of waste. Just by simply making this calculation, it takes, I don't know, five minutes. Um, and that gives you already a, a stronger sense of being in control. If we then move to result and the target that we talked about, the result being the output, um, that is really always reinforced with salespeople, um, as you know. And they're being managed, they're being monitored, uh, rewarded on the results they achieve. But the irony of this whole thing is, is that the result itself, for the most part, uh, is uncontrollable, is an uncontrollable element in the sales equation. These results can only be influenced by the salesperson, but it's ultimately controlled by the customer, you know, to decide to buy or not. 
controlled by competitors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, or competitors that can, you know, undercut your pricing or certain market conditions, certain certain economic uh, conditions. But we as founders, as entrepreneurs, we just give ourselves, our company, but also our sales people a target. And then we expect the magic to happen, right? Um, and I, I, I've used an example in the past, which is a quote from a Shakespeare play, Julius Caesar, where Julius Caesar is saying, go bid the priest, do present sacrifice, and bring me their opinions of success. So this is his way of trying to achieve uh, an outcome. Well, that is what I would call that sort of management by hope. And you used to have a great television series, I Dream of Genie, you know, Genie in a Bottle. Um, well, you can also buy a lottery ticket and then hope. I think it's about doing the right things, doing the smart things, and that will pay off. Uh, but it starts at the basis with sales, and that is really, really hard work. Um, now, I, I love to read comics. I'm a big fan of, uh, of comics. Um, maybe, I mean, I guess you know Uncle Scrooge. Um, Uncle, <laughs> of course. Uncle Scrooge, who is, I don't know, a trillionaire, uh, uh, and then a uh, hundred times over. He made, it's always in his stories, it's a story about the first coin that he made, right? Well, he made this coin with real hard labor. <laughs> you know, it doesn't come easy. Um, so we need a shift. We need a shift in focus from the uncontrollable um, to that which is uh, a lot more controllable. I couldn't agree more. I think this is such a, such an important thing that people need to be focused on is, you know, and you said it, one of the things that you said is do the right things. It's so yeah. important to, to focus on what you're doing. I, I always used to joke that I could, I could outperform anybody in two hours and what they do in the whole week just by focusing what I work on and, and knowing that when a deal's, there's a deal to be had and focusing on that versus the one in a million chance of closing the other deals. Yeah. So th then you get into the meat of, of this whole story. Um, and the mantra really for salespeople should be, well, you know what? You can never guarantee your results, you know, but you can always guarantee your activity. It's stupid if, if somebody would tell you, hey, this is your target, you have to do 500K, you have to do a million, you say, yeah, yeah, I will do that. No, it's all about, you know, analyzing your portfolio first. You can never guarantee your results. And if a salesperson just tells you that, it's bullshit. But you can always guarantee your activity. So let me illustrate that a little bit further. You've got to ma start managing activities first. Now, a salesperson is obviously under a lot of pressure and also the founders towards their investors to produce those results. Uh, but we have to understand there's a substantial amount of effort or activity needed to be, you know, you need to generate that in order to get there. Um, but in most cases, the activity and the energy we put in things does not deliver the result immediately. You with me? Yeah. There's all. There's almost always a delay between the activity put in and the results achieved. And understanding that there is this delay factor, especially in the B2B market, right? And also in, you know, building those relationships in the B2B space. Um, once you understand that, then you can work on more effective time management. And that allows you to plan in a more informed and a less stressful way. 
And what I mean is that if you are managing this delay factor, uh, you're literally working ahead of the game rather to then, you know, continuously playing catch up. Um, so what needs to be done? What's the activity that I need to do to produce that result? And this delay factor, you can view this from a few angles. And the first is about conversion of, of your contacts into um, new customers. It's very, very difficult to generate sales in the next three to six months from new clients, right? And nowadays, in the crisis with Corona, most startups have very short-term problems, right? And you ask a question on LinkedIn about that as well. So you have to rely on business uh, from your existing clients. It's a lot better. They will help you pull through this period. Now, um, the pyramids in Egypt, they withstood the test of time. They re and, you know, they remain a symbol for centuries of strength, stability, security, uh, symmetry. You know, they, ha they had awesome staying power, but it was the result of having a strong foundation. And the two main considerations with building a pyramid is, you know, how broad is the base uh, to support the height? One is dependent upon the other. The larger the pyramid, the broader the base. So just as with these pyramids, there are two main considerations when building a business. One is to go broad, you establish a, you know, a broader range of customers, clients, and the other is to go deep, strengthen relationship with each client. One is dependent upon the other. So how do you do that? How do you build that foundation? You know, this is the metaphor I want to use. Well, um, this is where I want to introduce you know, a concept called platform thinking in sales. Um, one of the attributes of platform thinking is the ability to build, you know, a long-term viable, stable business. Uh, and as said, that's, that's easier with the customers that we already have instead of constantly have to find new ones. But you as a CEO, as a founder, you have to create an awareness in your team that uh, the activities that you are generating today are building the platform that will be useful in three to six months and beyond. Here we have that delay factor again. Now, there are two, three main platforms. You've got the market platform, and here you have your leads, right? You get a lot of leads through marketing, for example, when you ask that question. I would call these leads suspects, right? And they can actually convert into prospects. If they become qualified leads, then they become prospects. You can move them in what I call the selling platform, which is your pipeline. Now, your sales process then leads to customers actually buying from you, and which is the buying platform. And the buying platform, that's really the most important for the organization in these crisis times, yeah, with existing clients helping you to come through this period. This is an analysis, and this is an approach that is very, very helpful and puts you in, in control. And once you have all of this, you can analyze the business and work out through backwards planning what exactly you need to do to achieve your targets. Uh, it's almost um, you know, a mathematical exercise. And that enables each salesperson and also the, you know, the feeling of knowing exactly what to do and by when in order to deliver results. So um, let me give you an example. Maybe that's uh, about this whole backward planning and, and how this works and because once you do this once you know what to do and by when 
that gives you so many insights also into the training and development needs of your sales uh, uh, people because you know you can identify conversion ratios um you notice patterns emerging what are the areas of improvement uh, that can be dealt with in a training context so knowing conversion ratios of your customers or your customer segments allows you to do the backwards planning in advance do the activity in order to produce the result let me give you an example let's let's work out a very simple example let's say our target our objective is to make 200,000 in new business this year yeah so early stage startup 200,000 we're going to do um, and the average deal in the pipeline is 50k so if I need to make 200,000 with an average deal size of 50k I need to have four orders right you with me yeah so let's assume there's a one out of three win ratio. So out of every three proposals, I win one order. Okay. So if I need four orders, four times 50,000 to make the target of 200K, it means I have to produce 12 proposals. Now let's say there's a one to three offer ratio. Yeah. So all the prospects I talk to, not all of them will invite me to make a proposal. Let's say one out of three can actually make a proposal. So if you calculate a little bit further, it means that you need at least for this year, 36 names, companies, clients, potential clients in your pipeline. And, you know, you can take this further into telephone calls and all kinds of activities. But um, now you can see the power of this sales productivity planning together with backwards plan. Because I can have a meaningful discussion uh, with my team, with my manager, whoever it is. Because if you know that the market platform only has 15 clients available, potential clients available, but I need 36, there's a huge gap. But now we can have the strategic discussion. Hey, maybe we are focusing on the wrong customer segment. Hey, maybe we have to add uh, sales in other countries to make this happen. But that's a much better discussion. And every time when we meet and you tell me, hey, your target is a million, where are you? It's better to say, hey. <laughs> I can't make it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, sale, I mean, salespeople are always bullish, right? They will all say, oh, yeah, 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 great, great meeting. And only, you know, we, no. Talk about your activity. It's a lot better. Both you and me, we can agree, hey, we, we just make. The backwards planning, and we know exactly what to do by when. And then we can challenge each other on the activity. Hey, on average, you have to make uh, three visits uh, to potential customers, uh, issue at least one proposal every week. Where are we? Well, well, I haven't met a customer for the last two weeks, and you know, last month was my last proposal. Hey, something is wrong. What's going on? Yeah. Um, or the conversion ratios are not going that well. What's going on? Hey. Maybe I'm afraid to uh, pick up the phone uh, and call on uh, customers because I see a lot of unqualified leads. I don't see a lot of prospects in the pipeline. It's a totally different discussion. Now, I know that uh, for salespeople, this is difficult. Um, so I've been in sales many years. And uh, of course, you don't like this because this is all about control. And you feel like somebody's going to control me. It's going to control my time. But it's the reverse, actually. It, it helps you to control yourself and to manage anybody else. Um, it's, it's such a huge difference if you use this tool 
And this is why I've been using it a lot um, with companies that I work with, with companies that I invested in, um, because you quickly find out where's where are the obstacles. I remember a founder a company we invested in, um, and you know there were a lot of leads on his list. You know, it's a true story, a lot of leads. So everybody's very excited. Uh, you know, we invested money, some others invested money, uh, but it never came any closer. And then we found out for him it was very, very difficult to have those first conversations. Now we have a conversation. Now we can talk about coaching that you need to do that first conversion. Because as we all know, in sales you go to stages. And every time you convert from one stage to another, it's a different type of skill set, right? And you can be trained in that skill set. Um, much better discussion. Yeah, and I think it's so, so important to. Everything that you said, because it allows you to actually also map out the sales process and yeah. and find out it's rather than like, hey, why don't we have sales? And like, I don't know, I'm doing everything. I'm so busy. It's okay. Well, here's the numbers that I missed. It's not about, oh, I have to do 100 phone calls this week. It's it's understanding the pipeline. It's understanding the flow. And so if there's there's a hole somewhere, you could quickly identify it and fix it. And that's it. And, th and that's it. I mean, um, sometimes you do a lot. Um, and as I just said, there's always a delay. If you understand that, you know it doesn't immediately produce the result. But even uh, if you take that into factor and you do not make uh, the targets, there's something else that we can look at. It's about you know the quantity, quality, and the direction of your activities. And then we get into the, uh, the you know the skill set uh, of a salesperson. Um, I mean, the direction is the type of products, the type of segments you target type of customers you target and, and quality obviously is what type of conversations do you do you have? How do you create a level of confidence with your customers? Uh, how do you uh, negotiate a win-win outcome uh, for customers, etc., etc.? And there could be weaknesses. Often there are weaknesses uh, that the salesperson doesn't really like to, uh, you know, uh, to admit, but they just come out of this analysis. So my my, my basic my basic thing is that Sales is not about, you know, something really, really big, big bang, big impact. No, you know, um, to hit the target is just a minor adjustment that is sometimes needed. And this is what I'm saying. The biggest uh, changes in life are the result of something small. Um, you know, it's a very subtle catalyst. And that sets emotion of events in, um, in the chain. And, and, and that is alters a course of direction whether or not you win a deal. And understanding that these small changes can produce major results, that will lead individuals away from feeling totally overwhelmed and towards you know, taking the first call. You have to help your sales team. So measure, analyze, and monitor. Because otherwise, the whole story about we'll make it, uh, we'll be all right, uh, it will just happen. No, it's not a magic wand. Uh, and this is why I, I just hate it when people say, you know, we got a great salesperson and, you know, he was born or she was born like a, a salesperson. It's not true. This is a skill that you can learn. It's about your activity. Manage your activities, the results will come. And you can be trained in the various, um, during those various cycles that you need certain skill set. But if you cannot measure it, you cannot manage it. Um, and this Absolutely. is really, this is what startup founders, um, often don't see it's the Achilles heel of a lot of I mean the financial model is often Achilles heel but also the sales aspect because they just feel like hey 
my product is super. Um, we've built that. We're, we're the best in tech. We're great. You know, this is going to sell itself. No, your customer doesn't care about your product. You have to <laughs> understand first the problem. Are you solving a problem? Are you willing to pay for it? Um, yeah. So this is coaching. This is, this is really uh, very simple sales coaching that I do with the startup founders to help them. Um, with their sales, and it's 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 an eye it's an eye opener. It sounds so stupid, but it is. You know, sometimes these no, simple it's such a help. huge impact. It, it it makes such yeah. a difference when you're able to to narrow it down and find the problem quickly and and be open to fixing it. Like like you said at the beginning of the conversation, like you really agree or feel that like I'm saying like a lot, but you really feel like you have to get uh, mentorship. It's it's so important to have a coach and have help and have outside help and don't drop your ego put that aside and get the help that you need uh it could it's so important even if you are an expert in something there's always something you could learn from other people yeah and it's so key to do that yeah which which leads me to my next question i have for you Hmm. is you you're have a lot of mentoring and you, you do a lot of projects with uh different companies mm-hmm. can you tell dive a little into that and how people could learn about that sure so um i mean if you look at what startups need in general right? it's, it's difficult to generalize but just if if we want to generalize they need access access to what access to capital obviously access to clients so markets access to talent, access to technology, and sometimes even access to government uh, relationships. Keep that in mind. Now, business models are under pressure, obviously, uh, nowadays uh, with the crisis. Um, But this whole thing about mentors, for us, is so important. So the program that we've set up is completely mentor-driven. Now, what's my value add and the value add of our community? You know, we know the smartest people in the market and we have a close enough relationship to call in favors, to actually help you. So what we've set up is the Holland and the Valley community in the Bay Area. And this is a public-private collaboration between corporate partners. So um, Shell is a corporate partner there, uh, Palo Alto Networks, uh, but also Silicon Valley Bank is uh, a corporate partner, uh, Arcadis. Uh, a group of investors, and we have a large pool of mentors. Um, and the power of, of, of this mentoring is that, you know, these are people with a certain experience, a certain uh, expertise or a network that they want to pay it forward. They want to give back. Uh, successful tech entrepreneurs, investors that are now ready to give back to the most promising startups and skeletons from the Netherlands. So the pool, our whole in the Valley community, Obviously, it's linked to the Netherlands. So a lot of them are uh, Dutch people that moved to the Bay Area and have been uh, successful there, but could also be Americans that have studied at a Dutch university or maybe have worked in the Netherlands. So they have a sort of a link uh, with the Netherlands. And we've set up this Holland in the Valley community. We launched this early last year. Um, and it's uh, it's fully digital. And, and that's the interesting thing. Um, now with with Corona, we realized, hey, we we gotta go digital. Uh, there's 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 no other way. 
And just three weeks ago, we launched the platform, the mentor platform, where we have now 60 mentors. I have some really great, some great uh, individuals. And we're onboarding um, very promising startups and scale-ups on that platform in order to facilitate the matchmaking. And then, ma- and then magic can happen. And uh, with the, uh, di- it all being digital, it's nice because it goes back to your previous uh, conversation about wasting time driving back and forth. Now you just sit at your computer and you could uh, already there, have your mentorship. There, there you go. There you go. You can have that mentorship because we organize these online events. We call them Mentor Meet Startups. Well, you can actually uh, try to hop on the plane now. With this is no use. <laughs> use. You won't be even allowed in the country. But we can facilitate this uh, uh, online. So, uh, yeah, we've pivoted our our approach um, out of the uh, the consulate, the Dutch consulate in San Francisco. We call it the e consulate in in San Francisco, um, and really want to provide these practical tools um, that can help startups. And, and one of those things is you know it's mentoring. People want want to help you. They're willing to help, and, and that's that's true power. That's terrific. Michael, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. How can people do uh, reach out to you if they want more information and also find out more about this uh, program? Uh, well, the best thing is to uh, reach out to me, michael.doyes, so first name, last name, uh, at minbusa.nl. I will share my email uh, address with you. They can just send me an email uh, and we have a conversation. This is how it starts, right? It's about interaction between people. And I first want to know, you know, the startup, uh, the founders, uh, how see how we can help them. Uh, and the interesting thing is that we've set this up now in the Bay Area. It's obviously, uh, you know, it's the flagship hub for, uh, uh, for entrepreneurship. But there are, of course, a lot of other hubs in the U.S. as well, especially also on the East Coast, New York, Boston, but also emerging hubs in Austin, in Atlanta some other areas and what i'm doing now with this platform i'm learning a lot um, taking all the um, uh, you know the, the successful parts of it and replicating that to all the other hubs that we're active in we're active in i think eight uh, other cities in the u.s so at the end of the day i'm building what we call the nl growth labs program uh, throughout the u.s and then i'm looking at different niches for example take uh, MedTech or CleanTech, then Boston is an important hub. If you look at cyber, I look at New York. If you look at deep tech and AI, it's the Bay Area. And if it's media, it's LA, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. so, you know, I've, I've really, I've traveled a lot when it was still possible. Uh, met a lot of people in the ecosystem to understand the, um, the strength of all those hubs and where they can add value most to the Dutch startups and scales. Yeah. Terrific. Sounds super exciting. Michael, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing all this insight with us. It's uh, really impactful. And uh, thank you. Adam, many thanks. And uh, hope you will join us as a mentor as well very soon. With pleasure. With pleasure. Thank you very much. And thanks to the listeners. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.